Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we will be digging in here. a conversation that Miles and I have had off and on, uh, uh, and, and in fact, he used this illustration in his sermon probably about five years ago, and I, I felt like it was appropriate for today's sermon, uh, is this phenomenon um, of, of how the uh, freed slaves uh, behaved after the emancipation and after the Civil War. And so just bear with me, this illustration is relevant to what we're, we're going to be talking about today. After three years of a bloody civil war, on January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforward shall be free. And what this meant was that by the end of the war, four million African Americans were free. It's a lot of people. Thousands of of former slaves traveled throughout the South, visiting or searching for loved ones. You can imagine if you'd been divided from your family uh, and you'd lived far apart from them, that the moment that you had the opportunity, you would want to go find them. And and so a lot of people endeavored to go find their family members and, and search them out. These were folks that they were invited to carve out a new life. They had freedom. And it meant that they had a completely new reality that they were being thrown into, one that they were certainly uh, excited about but also afraid of, a brand brand new world to experience with new eyes, the eyes of freedom. But an unfortunate reality of the emancipation is that many freed slaves remained in slavery. Many slave owners denied the emancipation and retained by force those slaves in their service. And so there were were people that that maybe intellectually knew that they were supposed to be free, but but never got to taste of it, never got to experience it. Many freed slaves were so unsure or unaware of what to do with their freedom that out of fear and and, and anxiety, disregarded it completely and by their own choice remained under the servitude of their masters. Now, this illustrates for us the human capacity to deny our own spiritual freedom and live lives of hopelessness. There are many Christians who, though emancipated by the blood of Christ, have remained in the bondage of their old masters. Some have, by choice, disregarded their freedom in Christ, and others have had their freedom obscured by religion and false teaching. And we've been discussing over the last few weeks the necessity in our Christian faith to source ourselves in the power and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But but I want to point out that that many of us behave, you know, using the illustration that, that John used in the last service, many of us behave as caterpillars who've been transformed into butterflies. 
and have chosen not to leave the branch. You know, John pointed out the idea that, that a cat, caterpillar lives its life on one branch, but the moment that it, that it goes through metamorphosis, that it might fly thousands of miles in its lifetime. And so many of us as believers, because we are not sourced in the power of our hope in Jesus Christ, we are like transformed caterpillars. We've been given our wings, and despite our freedom, remain on the branch. We're stuck. We're a people that are stuck, stuck in anxiety, stuck in depression, stuck in hopelessness. There are many of us who, when asked, you know, if someone confronted us, we would certainly say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. We would, we would you know, identify as a Christian. And yet, there's no reality of your faith in the way that you live. People observe your life and they, they observe the way that you behave. And they don't see any difference between you and anyone else. There are many of us who are so preoccupied with ministry. We are, we're, just, we're fine serving. We go, we go and we serve in Kidtown. We, we hold doors. We, we distribute coffee. We're completely fine. We're completely comfortable attending Bible studies. And yet all that activity results in no peace, no power, and no hope. How? Why? Why, why could that be? How could that be? Because we fail to stand on what we say that we believe. We fail to stand on the resurrection. And so here's our question for today's sermon. It's this. Is the resurrection actively strengthening my faith? Is it actively strengthening my faith? I mean, the alternative is that it's just some distant concept. Like some man standing on some hill somewhere far away, emancipating four million people. It's just an idea. It's so distant. It's so far away that I can't imagine how it might affect my life. There's some of us in this room that claim Christianity. We call ourselves saved even. And yet there's no power and there's no hope and there's no peace in our lives. When all the while, God has asked for us to live in the power of the resurrection and so by it be strengthened. Are you actively being strengthened by your faith? We're going to read the passage real quick and then we're going to pray, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 12 says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is, is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain." Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We're going to make sense of this passage today. It's very powerful. 
uh, bit of logic that, that Paul uses here, and we're going to uncover what he's saying. But let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you for the opportunity to study it and to, to uncover the truths that, that, that are all over it. Lord, I, I pray that your word would be piercing today, that it would, it would uh, divide us uh, from our, our soul and our spirit, divide us from the fleshly man, that it would, it would help quicken us, that it would make us alive at an even greater level, that we'd be of, of, of even higher understanding of your word and what your expectations are for us. Lord, I, I, I ultimately pray that we would live in the power of the resurrection, that it would be a constant reality, that it would make us fearless, that it would make us useful, that it would make us loving and gentle in a way that we were never capable, capable of before. We want to pray for Seth and JJ as they travel, uh, first to, to Denmark and then to Kenya. Be with them. Keep them safe. Lord, use them. And, and really, Lord, I want to pray for, for, for Seth, who is an elder in this church, and, and I know that he has a call on his life. Lord, I pray that you would give him vision and that you would use this trip as a, just another step towards clarity in his calling. We love you, and we're trusting you with this time, and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Today's sermon is called The Power of Hope. Now, I want to begin just by briefly recapping uh, something that's really important before we get into the passage, and that's this. The Corinthian church believed in the resurrection of Christ. They did. They, they believed that Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead. They believed that. 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received. They had received it. And wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, not only did they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but it would have been, as we said before, very difficult for them to not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? There was confirmation all around them that Christ had risen. In fact, you remember that that. 500 witnesses bore, uh, bore testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul reminds them of that. He says, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. See, no one in Corinth was denying the resurrection of Jesus. But at some point, the members of the church had each individually weighed the evidence of the gospel they received it as good news for themselves, but it's slowly, slowly grown in, in, in hopelessness. They put their faith in Christ's resurrection, yet in the daily practice of their life, they had become more and more hopeless. Verse 11 is a, is a testimony that they believed. Therefore, whether it were, it were I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. They believe that Christ rose again. But they had found themselves denying that there was any resurrection power available to them. They understood the resurrection of Jesus, but they denied that there was any resurrection power left over for them to enjoy. 
Some members of the church were denying that there was a future resurrection, denying that Christians would rise from the dead. See, the good news had lost what was good about it. Somewhere along the way, what was good news had lost its goodness. It had lost its power of hope. So Paul uses this section of his letter to oppose this heresy and assert the evidence and the fundamental necessity of the resurrection for anyone who calls themselves Christian. So Paul begins with a bit of deductive reasoning. He's going to use logic to present to them the contradictions that they faced by denying the resurrection. Verse 12 says this, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some uh, some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's calling out a logical fallacy in their life. He says, how is it that you go around preaching about Jesus Christ? But among yourselves, in the, in the quietness of your Bible studies, in the secret of your conversations, you say to one another, there is no hope of our resurrection. And he points out to them that this is absurd. He's revealing to them the power that they preached appeared to have no reality behind it. And he's going to help them by investigating the implications of their false thinking. And I want to say this to you because I think it's really important. And it's going to be the underpinning of everything we talk about today. And that's this. That what you believe about the resurrection is of greatest necessity. What you believe about the resurrection, what you believe about Christ's resurrection, makes a difference in how you live. It matters. It matters. And so as we go through these different implications of what he's saying, I want you to consider primarily whether or not you believe in the resurrection every day. Not just whether or not you believed on at one point, that you prayed a prayer, you came forward to an altar, you prayed with someone at, at, at vacation Bible school once upon a time, or, or, or however it is that you came to faith. What we're talking about is whether or not the resurrection has reality in your life every moment. So implication number one, okay? If you're, if you're taking notes uh, there's going to be a lot to look at today, but, but we're going to go through this fairly quickly, and I want to make sure that everyone understands it. Verse 13, implication number one, verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Okay, now here's the implication. Let's, let's put it in layman's terms. If resurrection itself is impossible then Christ is still dead. That's what he's saying. Okay, so you're, you're denying the resurrection for your life. Okay, we're, we're going to get to that. Let's talk about that. But first of all, what you're saying is that the resurrection isn't possible. And so by making that de declaration that there is no resurrection for you, that God doesn't have power to raise you from the dead, then he doesn't have power to raise himself. You know, there were several false ideas that were beginning to circulate in the first century. And they actually picked up steam over the first two or three centuries. And, and some of these ideas still persist today. And one of those ideas about the resurrection was, was that false teachers were proclaiming 
that Jesus didn't actually die. Okay? They were going around and saying, well, Jesus didn't actually die because if he was the son of God, well, then God the Father would have never, ever let his son die. And so, so yes, he was on the cross. They put him on the cross. And yes, he was, he was hanging there. But before he could die, God the Father delivered him. And he never died. That was an idea that, that, that started to sprout out of the first century. Now, that, same, that very same idea is held to some degree by Muslims even today. When they talk about Jesus, they, they deny the idea that he could have actually died and risen again. And so their solution for that is that God the Father delivered him before he could die. Another false teaching that, that had sway in the first century is the idea that we now call docetism. It's referred to, you know, the theologians have names for everything. And they all end with ISM, ism. There's lots of isms. But we call it docetism, and it's the belief that, that Christ wasn't physically real. Right? He wasn't physically real. He was a divine spirit who only looked like a person. And he lived a, a life on earth, and, and, but it was all a grand illusion of a divine spirit. He was never actually flesh. So his resurrection was only an illusion. And so, you know, the, 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 the Jesus that you believe on that rose from the dead, well, he never actually died, and so he never actually rose from the grave. And, and these were ideas that were beginning to, 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 to catch steam. They were beginning to pick up. Now, many of these kinds of teachings still show up today even in churches, believe it or not. People who deny that Christ died or, or that he rose again. And these are people that call themselves Christian. If someone asks them, you know, they go to church regularly, they own a Bible, it's a tradition, it's a part of their, it's a part of their life, it's a, it's a part of who they are. And yet, and yet they deny that Christ rose again. And they believe that, that by that, implied is that when we die, life is over. Life is, is over. It's done. Now, to me, like when I think about that, logically, I think, well, what's the motivation? I mean, call me pragmatic. But I don't want to spend my time investing in something that I don't actually believe in. And yet there are, there are people that are cultural Christians all over. They're in churches this morning doing the church thing. that have no, no belief or, or no hope that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This is not crazy. This, people live this way. And, and I wonder, for me, I wonder what's the motivation? What's the reason? I mean, I would, if I didn't believe, I would much rather be in my pajamas on a Sunday morning watching cartoons and eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Even at age 40, I'd still rather be doing that. If I didn't believe in the resurrection, right? 
Now, there's an important question that's raised here, and, and Paul uncovers it and, and, and helps, it to, helps us to understand it here in implication number two, verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain or empty, and your faith is also vain. He's pointing out exactly what we're talking about here. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you're wasting your time. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the grave victorious and defeat death, then all of us are wasting our time even right now. This activity would just be completely empty of purpose. See, there are, there are pastors and preachers who every Easter, they stand in front of their congregation, they, they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They stand in front of their, their church community or their parish and they, they preach the resurrection of Jesus. But secretly or in some cases overtly, they don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you quoted them, they would say that, well, the resurrection in the Bible is just a symbol. And they would say, you know, in a very pious and holy voice, you know, with their collar on or whatever, they would say to you, no, the, the, the resurrection is just an allegory. It's an allegory of hope. Hope that is within all of us. And, and, and when we go through hardship and we face trials, we can overcome. They would say something like that. And, and that's, what they, that's what they get from the story of Jesus raising from the dead. That's what they pull from that. And they relegate it to absolute nothingness. They relegate it to a, a, a cute, you know, Oprah statement. You know? I, you know, I don't, I don't need Christianity for that kind of thing. Uh, I've got Oprah. That's sufficient. If that's the way we're going to talk, right? Because there's no power in that. There's no power in that kind of, you know, mantra. Oh, you know, it's an allegory for, for you know, hope in our lives and, you know, overcoming. And Why? Why? Why bother? You know, this is one of the problems that I have with platforms that, that men like uh, Jordan Peterson have. You know, Jordan Peterson is on his, you know, they're promoting his uh, Exodus series where he sits around with a bunch of theologians and talks about Exodus for like 124-hour episodes. You don't understand anything anybody's saying, but everybody's looking at each other like, this is good stuff, isn't it? All right, right. These are men who appreciate the morality of Scripture, but they deny the reality of Scripture. It's not good enough for it to just be a moral text. It's not good enough for us to just say that Jesus was a good man, good teacher. If he didn't raise from the dead, you know what Jesus was? A liar. So was he a good man? No, the morality of Scripture is not enough. We need reality. 
What good are all the words about the gospel if Christ wasn't victorious over the grave? Key point. The resurrection gives purpose to our message. It gives purpose. I think devotionally speaking, from time to time, we function just like Jordan Peterson, and we function just like the Corinthians. We lose focus in our purpose because our mind is not stayed on the hope of life over death. And you know how this manifests in your life, right? You get discouraged about work, and then you get discouraged about your relationships. They spill over into each other. You get disappointed about your family, and then you get disappointed about church. You had a bad morning, and so you get to church on Sunday, and, and, and nothing right is going, nothing's going right in ministry. And we get these outlooks on life that feel like it's hopeless. We get frustrated. We get disappointed. We, 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 we look at one another, and we, we aren't fulfilled by each other, and so we get bummed out. And the reason that we get that way is because we've forgotten that we have victory over death. <laughs> You're like a freaking superhero. And we get, we get hung up on this stuff. So we, we, we speak without conviction. We, we labor without any zeal whatsoever. And we do so because we forgot just how exciting it is to live and share the good news of Jesus. We've forgotten. We've forgotten. The Great Commission is a privilege. The opportunity to speak the gospel to other people, that they might also be victorious, it's a privilege. And we become partakers of his resurrection. Not only when we accept it as our own, but every time we speak it. The resurrection gives purpose to our message. Don't go around acting and pretending and speaking like a Christian. Be one in the power of a Christian. Speak with conviction, knowing that you have the answer to death. Implication number three, verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up. In other words, we preach that message, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. So the implication is this. If you preach Christ and there is no erection, then you, too, are a deceiver. You are also a liar. You are made a liar. If you preach Christ and there is no resurrection, then you are, you are a liar. So not believing, not believing here, this is the point I want to make, and I think this is important, not believing is of no consequence to the gospel itself. Truth is truth is truth, right? Your lack of belief doesn't hurt the gospel. It only hurts you. It only hurts you. It's only of consequence to you. 
And so here's the key point. The resurrection actually gives our lives meaning. It is the meaning. Look, 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 listen to me. This is, this is what I'm trying to get to. Your ministry is not the meaning. Right? Your labor is not the meaning. The Bible study meeting is not the meaning. Opening up the discipleship lessons and, and doing that activity is not the meaning. But we make it the meaning. We make that the main thing. And when we do that, we lose sight and we grow hopeless. The resurrection is the meaning behind everything we do. You know, when you believe that Christ rose from the grave, that, that truth should change the entire course of your life. You know, we, oftentimes um, uh, evangelical Christians, um, and maybe rightfully so, they, they fall prey to the attack of, of other, you know, other denominations and other people. And they refer to our approach to salvation and our view theologically of salvation. They refer to it as easy beliefism. Have you heard this before? Right? The idea that any person could just come forward at a service and bow their knee and pray to God for salvation and pray to repent and, and receive the Lord and that that's actually what salvation is. Oh, no, that can't be. It can't be that easy. And, and so... The truth is, it is. But the thing that we should also realize is that true salvation is understanding the gospel and because of it, because of the resurrection, you choose to make Christ Lord, which is not an easy thing. Saying, I'm done with me and I'm taking on Christ. My identity is in him. I believe that's not an easy thing. And so from outward appearances, it might seem easy that someone came forward and prayed to accept Jesus Christ. And we ought to make that easy. We're not Catholics, friends. We're not, we're not, we're not asking people to believe but also do all this other stuff. We're not asking people that they be good. No, Christ is good. You're a filthy, wicked sinner. There is nothing about you that's righteous except you put on him. And so it might look easy, but the fine print of the contractual agreement that you make with Jesus Christ the day that you receive him is that you've given him your life. Not easy. It's a big deal. And when we do that, we're like Frodo Baggins. See, that dude had no idea what he was getting into. Like if it, Frodo, like they're all standing around in that circle and the ring's sitting there, right? The dwarf hits it and like, oh, the ring can't be broken. And they're all standing around arguing with each other if in that moment, Frodo could like see himself to the end of the third movie where he's laying there with lava everywhere, right? And he's, on, he's like, there's like death. I, that would have made that decision to take the ring a little bit more difficult. 
See, he had no idea what he was getting into, but it was the adventure of his life, and it changed everything about him. And we, too, have a great opportunity. When Christ has risen, and that's a reality for our lives, then the words that we value intellectually begin to take root in our heart And they begin to have the potency and power that they're supposed to have. See, we have the option, even right now, to see everything in our world through the the lens of, of eternity. Our relationships with our family. The busy work that we do, you know? You see Victoria running around, making sure that everything gets done, and... She's always so busy running around. But even that, with the right lens, can look like eternal investment. It can have purpose that transcends the simplicity of the activity itself. See, this this work that God's given us to do, it's grand. And we cannot afford to do it without the resurrection in mind. It's a big deal. Quit wasting your time by acting like a Christian. Make your life of purpose by focusing on the resurrection of Christ. Implication number four, verse 16. For if the dead rise not... Okay, if, if, if resurrection power doesn't exist, then is not Christ raised? Then Jesus didn't rise. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. So here's the implication. If there is no resurrection, then we are all destined for hell. Because death hasn't been defeated. And so I don't care what you call yourself. Call yourself Christian or call yourself ketchup. It doesn't make any difference. Call yourself whatever you want. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this passage or not, but Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 5.12 reminds us that that. In Adam, in Adam and Eve, is the genetic makeup that curses all of humanity. You can't help but be a liar. You can't help but think wicked thoughts. You can't help but lust. You can't help but be greedy. You can't help but be jealous and and to treat people poorly and to be angry in in the wrong moment. You can't help it. Why? Why can't you help it? Because you're cursed. And the wages of your sin is death. And death is eternal separation from God. And eternal separation from God is hell. And absent Christ, all of us are going there. If the resurrection isn't real, if it's not true, then all of us are going to hell. You may be a good person with high morals. You may be kind to people. 
You may be sincere in your activities and belief, but the problem is that sincerity has never saved a single person. It's not the answer for life and death, Christ is. John 14, 6. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, then just like Christ, your Christianity is dead. Because you can't have Christianity without a living Christ. Here's the key point. The resurrection is required for forgiveness of sin. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, he's extended a gift in his resurrection. He's extended a gift to us in his resurrection. And he's put it before you, an opportunity to receive him. And by receiving that, you receive forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of the wages of sin. He's covered the cost. But if you don't take that and you don't receive it into your life, then you are yet dead in your sins. That's a difficult reality for some of us who think that we're good people. Or we think, well, I've been religious. I've gone to church my whole life. You know, sometimes I'll have conversations with people who say that they're Christian. I'll engage them in dialogue, and I'll ask them about their salvation. And they, instead of telling me about how they put their faith in Christ, they tell me about how their parents took them to church all the time. And that's a troubling statement. Because the two things aren't the same. Your salvation has to be a personal one. You have to be forgiven of your sins. It's not the responsibility of your parents to make you a religious person or to bring you up in church. No, it's your responsibility to acknowledge the resurrection for what it is and put your faith in Christ. Quit you and take on him. Christ is the sacrificial lamb, and he's offering you a way of escape. And if you want forgiveness of sin, it has to come through the resurrection. Implication number five, verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. They also which are fallen asleep in Christ, which means dead, those who have died before them, those, those saints of old that have passed away, they're actually, they're actually perished. Here's the, here's, here's the way that we understand that, and that's this. If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope for the Christians who've already passed away. There's no hope for them. All of those people that were put in the grave... The moment they took their last breath, it was done. It was over for them. There's no answer. There's no solution. There's no solution to the sin problem. All of that Christianity talk, it was just empty. It was vain. It, was, it never meant anything. And so those that have already died, they're just dead. 
This is the thing that we need to understand for that. This is how we reverse that. Key point, the resurrection is required for eternal life. If you desire to have eternal life, it has to come through Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In him is the life. And to receive him is to receive eternal life. To refuse him is to accept death for what it is. Separation from God. Whether you believe in hell or not, it's still separation from God. It sounds like hell to me. Implication number six, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And this is, this is it. This is, the, this is the implication. This is the inference that, that summarizes all the other premises. That if, if all of that other stuff is true, if there is no resurrection, if there is no eternal life, if there is no forgiveness of sins, then those of us that walk around calling ourselves Christian are the most miserable people on earth. Because we're living a life denying ourselves. We're living our life waking up in the morning and, 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 and putting on these clothes and, and doing this activity and, and reading a book that's dead. It's dead. It's empty. We read it and we focus on it and, we, and, and, and it's all a waste of time. We go around and we, we talk to people and, and share our faith and, and all, of it's, all of it's a waste. You know, imagine for a moment the church in Corinth. They go out and they share the gospel in their community. They're sharing with friends and family, sharing with coworkers and, and people on the streets. The dedication that they have to sharing the gospel, it requires a lot. It requires physical investment, right? It takes time. It takes energy. It requires emotional investment, doesn't it? Sharing the gospel with people. Discipling people. It requires something from you emotionally. And of course, it requires a spiritual investment. It can be tiring. It can be exhausting. And the church in Corinth, they were doing that work. And yet, those very same people who were convincing one another, convincing one another that there was no resurrection for them, had essentially accepted the fact that it was vain, it was empty. All of the activity, all of the tiredness, all of the emotional investment, all of it was vain. There was no resting place for their soul. There was no recovery from death. When their body went in the grave, it stayed there. Can you imagine what a hopeless and miserable act it would be to perform the duties of a truth that you don't believe in.
Where's the hope in that kind of Christianity? Now imagine for a moment your own life. Think about yourself. You share the gospel with your friends, with your family. You share the gospel with coworkers and classmates. You go out on the streets and, and you share the gospel with people that you've never met before. You come to church every week. You serve in ministry. All of that requires physical investment, emotional investment, spiritual investment. And yet, despite the fact that many of us believe in the resurrection, do we not? We believe in it and have an intellectual framework for the rapture. We could talk about it. We could point it out to you in the Bible. We could make a theological case. Day to day, those same people live without power, live without hope, live in bitterness, complain, act disappointed about life, get frustrated with people about nothing, about the stupidest crap. It's a miserable life to live. You know, at least the church in Corinth, they were deceived into believing something that wasn't true. What excuse do you have for the lack of power in your life? You believe in the resurrection. Well, good for you. If it has no power, you might as well not. Yeah, I want to I I point something out to you as we, as we get close to closing here. Jesus, Jesus has never gone anywhere where he wasn't willing to take you with him. Did you know that? I mean, we talked about this in the last service, right? Kenny made that statement on the postscript about, about how we always miss this in the Great Commission, the idea that we're supposed to go and preach the gospel and teach the gospel, and we just gloss over the fact that Jesus told us that everywhere we go to the end of the earth, that he's with us, providing us with power, providing us with strength. I mean, Jesus in, in, in Acts chapter 1, he ascends to heaven, and yet he promises them, look guys, I'm with you every day. See, Jesus, Jesus has never gone anywhere that he wasn't willing to take you with him. And beyond that, Jesus has no blessing that he doesn't want to share with you. Every bit of the inheritance that Jesus has, that God the Father has bestowed upon him, he's bestowed upon you. It's incredible. So why would we ever assume that the resurrection that Jesus displayed and lived would not also be for us. His resurrection is our resurrection. When he defeated death, we defeated death. Our future is sealed in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, those that are dead. For the Lord himself shall descend. He'll descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice 
of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the promise. His resurrection is your resurrection. And there's coming a day that every single body, decomposed, that's taken on the form of dust, will be knit back together in a perfect fashion, in a perfect form, and it will be reunited with its soul and spirit in the sky. And those of us that are alive to see Jesus Christ return, we will be gathered in the clouds with them. And we will together experience eternal life in perfect bodies, in perfect form, completely whole. Now this reality, this truth, is intended to impact the way that we think and we live right now. And we know that because verse 18, Paul gives them all these truths and all these facts, and then he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. If the return of Jesus Christ, if the imminent return of Jesus Christ and the imminent resurrection of our bodies does not motivate us now to live the life that he's called us to, then we're just accepting vanity. And our Christianity becomes empty. If we believe in the resurrection of our Savior and and by extension believe that he will one day raise us from the dead, to live with him eternally, then joy is made whole and our purpose retained. So key point, and this is what we'll close with, the resurrection, it is the power of our hope and the reward of our faith. That's what it is. The resurrection is the power of our hope and and the reward of our faith. And we saw how the resurrection impacted the life of Paul. We saw how his life was changed. When he understood that Christ had risen from the grave, everything about him was altered. His life had purpose, it had power, it had meaning. He had hope that he didn't have before. Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. He gave up everything. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press forward the mark. I press to, uh, sorry, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so this is what, I, this is what we want to conclude with. Jesus Christ should motivate us to live for him. It should cause us to press toward the mark. It should change the way that we live, the way that we see the world, the way that we, that we exist. It should cause us to pursue him with everything that we have. And if that's not true for you, then there's, there's only one of two problems that you have. One, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior to begin with. You've never put your faith in the resurrection. You've never called upon him to save you. And that's a big problem. But here's the beauty. Just like we said earlier, you can deal with that today. You can come forward and meet with someone, and they can point in Scripture to you how you can know for a fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and that he saved you and that he wants to resurrect you one day to live eternally with him. You can know that for a fact. And so that's one of two problems. The other problem might be that you are a Christian who's completely forgotten the power of the resurrection. And so you live a defeated life. Your life is a woe is me life because you've forgotten what he's given you. And if that's you, you also should come forward and you should meet with someone. And you should refresh in your life what's been lost along the way. Restore the power of hope. And believe on Christ afresh. So that tomorrow when you wake up and you do all the Christian things, that they actually have meaning. Does that make sense? Alex, go ahead and let's come up and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Um, I mean, Paul is so direct here, and, and uh, you know, his logic is undeniable. It's, it's pretty straightforward. And I, and I know in this room, it's just way different. It's not, it's not like Corinth in this way. I mean, most of us in this room, we, we believe in a rapture of the saints. We believe in a future gathering. We believe that, that Christ rose from the dead and that we one, two will, one day, too, will be risen with him in heaven. We believe those things. A lot of us do anyway. But that power is gone. That flame is, has dwindled. And we, we call ourselves Christians, but we don't, we don't act like it. We certainly don't feel like it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would deal with us today. Lord, if there's anyone in the room right now who is not confident in their salvation. They don't know whether or not they've ever given their life over to God. Maybe they fancy themselves religious or, or good. Maybe they, they see themselves as sincere and, and good people and they put their hope in that. Lord, I pray that right now you would convict them that they are still yet in their sin. I think about Jordan's testimony today. We heard her say that, that she believed in Jesus for most of her childhood, that she believed, but there was no power, there was no reality of the resurrection in her life. And so just one day she discovered for herself that she could have a personal relationship with Jesus, that she, she, she could know him and, 
and receive him as her, as her very own. And Lord, I pray that if there are people in this room today that have not yet made that discovery, that they would do that right now, that they would come forward, they'd meet with someone, and they'd figure out what's missing in their life. So we're asking for your help, and we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.liv.